Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning into the Hope Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. Each week, I have the privilege of chatting with a different elite athlete about their journey to the top of their sport and what gives them purpose outside of competition. This week, I'm so excited to have a fellow diver on with me. Although we have a lot in common, we no longer do quite the same thing. David Kulturi may have started off like me, down on the springboards and then eventually moving up to that 10-meter platform, but he has continued to push higher and higher and now competes in the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series, where he travels around the world diving from buildings, monuments, and as you'll hear, even paragliders, all of which are from a whopping 27 meters. Folks, that is nine stories high. So if you're wondering what it takes to leap from heights like that, then you'll definitely want to keep on listening. He has not only faced insane heights, but he's also virtually self-taught and trained. How does he not get hurt, you may wonder? Well, he's faced that too. I'm so excited for today's show, so let's dive on in. David Colturi, welcome to the Hope Sports Podcast. We're so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much, Laura. It's good to see you again. <laughs> now, okay, we're, we're going to get to your insane side more in a few minutes, but for those listening that don't really know your background, walk us through how you just got started in sports. Um, so when I was a kid, I had a very hard time sitting still. I loved doing activities and from a very young age, it was as many sports and as many things as I could do all the time, all year long. So I grew up in the Midwest in Northwest Ohio. Um, and in the summer months, I mean, it was like sunrise golf into swimming and diving lessons into tennis and then baseball at the end of the day with like meals scattered throughout there amongst <laughs> the as, as as quickly as I could shove food in my face you know um, wow. and then yeah I mean I ran cross country I played basketball um, flag football as a little kid I mean I, I literally tried to do everything and all at um, once it sounds like <laughs> all, yeah exactly all year long um, but then as I got a little bit older um, I kind of gravitated towards diving. I was a little bit too small and scrawny for the big contact sports. Um, and so then probably by the time, by the time I was maybe 11 or 12, then it was like full time diving year round, um, and really focused on that. Ah, that's so cool. Now I know you were really good on all three events, like one meter and three meter springboard and platform, but I kind of remember you really standing out on platform maybe that's cause that's where I was. And, um, you were at the 2008 Olympic trials on platform. Uh, were you comfortable up on 10 meter right at the beginning? Oh, of course not. No, definitely no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, yeah. And now that I'm a cliff diver, people always say like, Oh, you must've just like easily done it as a kid. No fear of heights. Like absolutely not. I mean, I remember <laughs> Growing up in, in Toledo, like we didn't even have a platform. So my first platform event, well, I learned seven meter as a 13 and under at camp at, at the Ron O'Brien camp down in Fort Lauderdale. And so I had maybe like a week's worth of platform experience on seven meter. And I went to zones at Buffalo and I was trying to do a handstand, like kicked up, balked on the first one, classic, kicked up on the second <laughs> one, was about to balk again, but walked backwards. And then walk towards the end of my hand slips off the platform. I do like a round off sprawl through the air and just <laughs> slam back smacker into the water. Like horrific first tower experience as, wow. a, as a 12 year old. And that um, didn't stop you. No, no, thankfully not. I mean, I was, I was very, uh, I was, I was crushed as a kid. I remember like running outside and crying. My mom was like, had to come come for me. Like, it's okay. We'll get back up there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And then even like eventually getting the 10 meter, um, I trained with Buck Smith at legacy diving. And I mean, he could tell you a bunch of stories of me struggling through learning my 10 meter list. I think most kids remember my infamous back three and a half at, um, at Moultrie when we had like a hurricane come through. So the events <laughs> kept getting pushed back. Um, and we had to do like 10 meter finals at night. And I, I was like, maybe 15, 16 years old, back three and a half, like got lost just totally flat on my back. So plenty of those stories, struggled a ton, very scared, learning a big 10 meter list. It was, uh, it was not easy. That's for sure. Well, so what kept you going? Why did you, why did you <laughs> want to keep doing it? I don't know. I think it's, every, everybody kind of has their own pieces. It's, it's like a, a crazy combination of, of bravery and maybe a couple screws loose. <laughs> um, but I think, I think every 10 meter diver would tell you that it's, it's kind of that drive of just loving loving what we do, being up there, pushing yourself, um, overcoming challenges and fear and, and just kind of going through that culture of platform diving that you know very well with your teammates and your coaches. It's, it's a fun thing. It's scary and it can be painful, but it's cool to go through it. Isn't it funny how you can love something so terrifying? 
Yeah, which exactly. I know you you know on a much bigger scale now, but before we get to that, um, you decided to go to uh, Purdue and for college. And what what mm-hmm. was that like for you? You had some really incredible teammates. You guys were kind of a powerhouse, uh, making kind of putting Purdue on the map for diving, really. Totally, yeah. And I mean, it happened the year before I got there. Adam Soldati was uh, had just joined the Purdue staff. Um, and he had a pretty solid incoming men's freshman class of, um, Danny Cox, JP Perez and Kyle Mitrione. And then he filed it up. I was his next recruiting class after that. And then behind me was David Bodaya. Um, and behind me, a couple, a couple more like really impressive divers. Um, so that was, that was monumental in my diving career. And, and it was really life-changing. I mean, anybody who knows Adam knows that he not only coaches you in the pool, but out of the pool as well. Um, and he really, he really helps you and strives to help every diver that he coached reach their greatest potential in the water and out of the water, which I have always really appreciated and, and looked up to Adam in that way. That's so cool. We actually got a chance to talk to David Budaya um, a few weeks ago, and he shared oh, cool. a lot about Adam and his journey. And so you, yes, you guys were obviously in very good company with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can go on and on for days about Adam. Um, but the team, the team was something special and diving with those guys. I mean, the older class being JP, Kyle and Danny, like super fun, always pushing each other, really competitive. And then me being in the middle with David Bodaya coming right after me. I mean, it was always a competition. It was always fun. I mean, diving alongside Dave was the most challenging and awesome, like acceptance for me to kind of try to keep up with him. Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my junior year, the five of us all made NCAAs. We were all finalists. And I think, I don't know if any other program has ever done that, um, for five male divers to be on the same team at NCAA finals. And it was just really cool. I mean, it was an awesome experience. And like I said, yeah, it was, it was kind of a game changer for my, my diving career. And then what happened? Cause something else changed the game that wasn't so pleasant after that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, college is, uh, is kind of a coming of age and, and tumultuous time for many people. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I struggled, uh, like many other young boys and girls do. And so I got in some trouble outside of the, of the pool in the classroom. Um, and after a couple strikes, you know, it's, it's just the, the natural order of things. I, I eventually was released from the Purdue diving team after my, my junior year. So I didn't get to complete all four years of eligibility. Um, and so I was left with a a really tough choice that summer after my junior year, I, I considered transferring to another school, um, either for academics. I was, I was on the pre-med path and and doing really well in that. And I was almost thinking about, well, maybe this is just a sign and I was going to leave diving behind. And I was, I was looking at schools like Harvard and Yale and MIT. Um, and then I also thought, well, you know, diving is going pretty well. I'm kind of in that group of divers right below David and Thomas Fincham and Nick McCory at the time. Like maybe if I really kind of get my act together and, and keep working super hard, maybe I should go down the diving path. So I was looking at transferring out of conference and looking at other diving schools. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I figured I would just stay at Purdue and I was going to load up on classes. And instead of continuing down the five-year academic plan that most college athletes do, I was going to load up on credits and, and just finish in four years at Purdue, stay pre-med and look at med schools and go from there. Um, so did you retire at that point, kind of, or were you just of, yeah. not training? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, in a, in a sense, yes. I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to compete for Purdue anymore and I wasn't going to transfer and, and compete anywhere else. So in a sense, it was like, yeah, I guess diving competitively is, is done for me. Um, but in a, in a weird blessing at the same time that summer, um, Stephen LeBou invited Kyle Mitrione and I up to Indiana beach. And if you, you don't know what Indiana Beach is, I, I urge everyone to look it up and, and maybe take a visit if you can, because it's this hilarious and kind of awesome amusement park <laughs> in the heart of Indiana. It's about 40 minutes north of Purdue, and it's situated on a, on a dammed up river that's called um, Lake Schaefer. And there's this amusement park that's right there. And, and it was built back in like the 50s, and it was kind of the bee's knees at the time. I mean, huge artists performed there, Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane. And these awesome roller coasters, like it was the big theme water park of the of the year, and um, they've had the longest running ski show since like 1950 or something. Oh, and so wow. they had, yeah, they have a big water stunt show there with skiing and wakeboarding, um, boats and stand up jet skis, and then also high diving. 
And so this was this was my introduction to high diving, kind of just being a, a carnival circus performer with Steven and Kyle. And it was very low, kind of low budget, low key. We were lighting ourselves on fire, doing dilly dives. It wasn't, <laughs> I mean, if you think of circus show diving, like Cirque du Soleil is up at the top and Royal Caribbean is up there. Like this is not anything like that. This is very, very, very low key. Um, but it's what kind of started my and Kyle's and Steven's um, cliff diving career. And if, if you follow cliff diving at all, you know that Steve, Kyle, and I are three of the four U.S. male cliff divers on, on the series. And it's kind of crazy to think that we all came from Purdue and we all learned to high dive at that amusement park. While setting yourself on fire. I like that addition there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try not to do that one too much anymore. <laughs> I'm sure your mom's happy about that. <laughs> Definitely. So, so what kind of... I mean, how do, you, how do you learn? Like, how high was the high diving at this little beach place uh, at this yeah. Indiana beach place. Yeah. The, the high dive ladders at these shows are kind of set up differently. This one didn't really have many intermediate heights. So they, they had kind of a, a 10 meter perch and a 20 meter perch. And when I say perch, like these aren't normal platforms. If you're used to 10 meter or even like traditional platform diving, like this is a straight ladder that's all the way up that you do not want to fall off of because there's like wooden deck below you. And when you get to these perches, it's a very, very small, like either set of two by fours or little piece of plywood that a lot of times you can't even get like a full arm swing if you're doing backs or reverse. You can like barely get both your feet on it, right? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if, if you're doing the the tri-ladder with like the adjustable platforms, those are really just like a square foot, like really just enough room for your feet. These were a little bit differently built, but still not much more room. So it was it was a very weird transition um, and something that I wasn't comfortable at first. I mean, on the 10 meter, of course, I can, I can be pretty comfortable up there and do a lot of dives that I like, but you still got to clear some of the deck below. And it's weird. I mean, you're diving outdoors in a lake, not in a natatorium or an aquatics facility like we're used to. It's a very different environment. Like, well, like, um, how do you learn that first one? I mean, because you're just used to 10 meter and you're going up to 20 meters plus. Like, how do you just learn to go on your feet and add an extra flip? Like, what what kind of, yeah, transition do you do for that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird technique. I mean, we were part of this kind of last era of high diving where you kind of just teach yourself or go off of what the older high divers before you did. So Steve really kind of just taught Kyle and I how to do a basic branny or how to do like a flying maneuver and really hold your position so you can bring a reverse flip or a backflip down to your feet from 20 meters high instead of 10. Um, and it was a very scary, tough experience. Nowadays in the world of cliff diving, there, there's a new facility in China and there will be new facilities where people can learn kind of at incremental heights and go their way up and programs will be designing coaches. I think it's a really cool time to get into cliff diving. But yeah, I mean, when we did it, it was really just go up there and try it. Um, oh my and it was, it was terrifying. I mean, honestly, again, people ask me like, Oh, you must've just loved it. Like no fear of heights. You just did it like a natural. And I was like white knuckle climbing the ladder, totally scared up top. If there's boats on the water, like if it was a busy weekend, like the waves were kind of like shaking the actual platform, like up 20 meters high, you can feel the thing rocking back and forth. Like it was terrifying. Oh, Absolutely. My palms are like sweating <laughs> as you're talking about this. Cause I can just imagine I've seen you guys do it. So it just... Woo. Okay. So we got to know some facts about cliff diving, this high diving, because it is just such a different extreme sport. Like how high is your competition platform that you dive from? So currently in the, in the rule book for the Red Bull World Series, it's uh, 26 and a half to 28 meters. And the reason for that meter and a half variance is actually because a lot of times we dive in open water in the oceans. And so the tide will raise and lower throughout the competition. They try, they try to get it closer to 27 is like the middle magic number, mm -hmm. um, 27 meters. And that's what now that FINA has adopted FINA high diving, that's where they try to set their platform. And FINA doesn't often set their platforms in ocean or tidal raising waters. So they can pretty much keep it there. So 27 meters is about, is like the magic, magic number. I think it's about 85, 87 feet. That's just crazy that it's not always the same. Does that really throw you off from venue to venue? Not really. I mean, if you think about that last meter and a half, if you were really to have one dive at 28 meters and one dive at 26 and a half, and it's not going to happen one right after the other, it's slowly going to change. But that last meter and a half goes by so fast. I mean, we hit the water going almost 60 miles an hour. So when you're talking about a real time difference, 
Like it's, it's not really that much more. It's more like a, a quick little adjustment on the bottom of the dive. Um, so I don't, I think it's more of a mental game and people really try to like talk it up. They're like, Oh, this one's high. Oh, this one's low. And it's really like, nah, they're all pretty much the same. Um, <laughs> you can, you can feel the impact maybe a little bit more and yeah, maybe you can, you can get a little bit more height on your dive, but it's not going to change it that much because you're falling so quickly in that last meter. Well, so on that, does it hurt when you hit? Like even on a good one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would say the two most common statements I get when I tell people I'm a cliff diver is, does it hurt your feet and your poor mother? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and so yes, to both of those statements, it can really hurt your feet. And my mother is, is a very extraordinary woman and strong for supporting me through this. Oh my Um, goodness. But no, most of the time, I mean, if you, if you train for it and if your body's in shape and you can handle the impacts, um, and you do them well, then you can get through a competition relatively un, unbruised and unbattered, but you will be sore after a weekend of high diving, no matter what. I mean, even as you know, from 10 meter platform diving, you're not going to go in and do seven days a week or even five days a week of 10 meter platform diving, your wrists, your shoulders, certain muscle groups just can't handle that impact over and over. And it's the same thing with cliff diving, your lower body going in feet first can handle it a little bit, obviously better than your, than your upper body, which is why we go in feet first because that impact is so great. But no, I mean, if you, if you really try to rep out a couple, like let's say you do three days of intense cliff diving, you're going to need at least three to five days after that of recovery before you can get wow. back up there. So what are some common injuries that you see in, in high diving and cliff diving? The margin of error, as you can imagine, with the impact being so great is very, very small. And so no matter what, it's, it's not like in springboard or even, I mean, 10 meter smacks can get pretty bad, but a lot of times you can smack off the 10 meter and kind of dust yourself off and get up back up there pretty quickly. We don't really have that luxury in cliff diving. And so when you are learning a new dive or anytime you go up there to perform a dive, whether it's a voluntary or an optional, like you really need to be on your game and you got to know that you know that you're going to do them well, because we just, we just don't have that margin of error in any little smack or off landing can be pretty devastating. And the hypothetical injuries are, are the list goes on and on from torn muscles and ligaments, internal hemorrhaging, um, knocked unconscious. And, and that's the biggest thing that where cliff diving can become fatal is you're not really gonna, you wouldn't die from an injury, but you would be incapacitated to swim, whether you're knocked unconscious or you're having trouble breathing or something's wrong that you can't get to the side of the pool. And so that's where cliff diving gets really scary and fatal injuries can happen. And that's why we always have a safety team in the water waiting for us and ready on standby to help us every time we die. So crazy. Yeah, I was reading something you had written, um, but you're diving from 90 feet. You know, you're going from like zero to 60 miles an hour in like three seconds, but the deceleration force is even greater. You're going from 60 miles an hour to zero in only one second and just like 13 feet of water. Like, I mean, do you get used to that? (laughs) that, (laughs) I mean, I, I guess you don't do it. Like how many dives would you do in a training in a competition, you know, and then how long would it be till you would do that again? Yeah, it's it's kind of yes and no with the getting used to it because like our our seasons are so cyclical like in the in the competition season in the summer we're diving all the time. But in the off season like right now we're in February and I haven't done a high dive since last season. Um and so the first event of the year is always the most nerve-wracking and you kind of like, "Oh man, this is what it's like again and the impact feels real strong." But you kind of get used to it as the season goes on. In the middle of the end of the season, it feels a little bit more regular, if, especially if you can kind of avoid injuries and, and stay strong through it. When I was younger and when I first joined the series, and I didn't have a lot of high diving experience, you know, I did that amusement park in Indiana for two years. A lot of these guys had done contracts for years and years and years. Um, Steve went over to China for a couple of years. He was on the Royal Caribbean cruise ship. A lot of these guys have done high diving in shows for almost 10 years before they start competing on the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. And so I had only two little summers. And so when I first got into cliff diving, I was like, I need repetitions. And I felt really strong. I was in my young 20s coming off college diving. Like, I was like, I'm going to really rep it out. And even then still, like I tried to do two of each dive and warm up, and then one of each in my competition. So I'm doing 12 high dives in a three dive in a three day period. And I was still really, really sore. And I could feel it in the competition, like, oh, I'm not as fresh as I really should be. So I've kind of learned to alter that. And again, like I said, we're kind of figuring out how many reps can you do? What's a training period like? What's competition periods like? We're still really kind of figuring out what works and what's too much. 
Well, it's so interesting because you are kind of like your own coach too, right? I know you have actually been on events coaching some of the other divers and you guys don't really have standard coaches, it seems like. You're still figuring things out on your own. It's all kind of still new territory. So how do you, with all of this mental, I'm just assuming it is so mental. If you're not training your dives, you're just doing them you have to be so ready for them because you don't do them for six months. I mean, how how do you handle all of that? Because that's, that's a load and that's a lot to do all by yourself. Totally. Yeah, it's kind of been a, a one-man team lately. Um, and so it's it's awesome that the community is so friendly and so helpful that and I wouldn't have I don't think any of us would have been able to get through this without our fellow teammates and and competitors it's a weird thing to think about that we're competing against each other and and in in cliff diving like we do this professionally this is our this is our livelihood and this is our annual salary you know and cliff diving it's not like a huge payout at the end so this is really important to finish well but you're also getting coached and supported by and helped by your fellow competitors because they're the only ones who really know how to coach you and have done the dives that you're doing. So it's it's this weird dichotomy of like a really really friendly and sportsmanship and and kind of friendly environment but also super super competitive and everybody really wants to win. Um, and it was it was a interesting thing to kind of get used to those first years on the series like man it's cool that everybody is so supportive and helpful but it's it's a strange thing that we all are are out to to get each other. Um, but it's, it's a really cool environment. And yeah, I mean, the judges help, the old high divers help. It's a, it's a very, very small community of people who really know how to coach and, and push you through this. Um, but now that the sport is progressing and we're getting these facilities and more people are getting into, I think there will be coaches and programs and, and this will get developed a little bit more like traditional springboard and platform diving. That is so neat that it's it's an ind- very individual sport, but yet you have to rely on that competitive community as your support. Like that's that's just so cool. And I think it also shows you that in an individual sport, like you really can't just do it all by yourself. Like you have to have help, you have to have support and it's okay to reach out for those things. I think a lot of times we try to be Superman or Superwoman, right? And do it on our own and and you realize that it's you're just going to get so much farther when you when you do ask for help and you lean on those people around you that are willing to help you totally absolutely yeah. and, and I, I mean i say cliff diving is a one-man team but it, it really there are a lot of resources and a lot of people that are out there that can help you you just have to get out there and ask and i think i think that's something that's true in almost every sense in this world you know whether you're a business person or a kid growing up an athlete not an athlete a performer a musician an artist like there's there's help out there if you look and and we're always better together and you just have to reach out and, and kind of get that help when you need it awesome so take me back to when you first landed a spot on the red bull cliff diving series i know you went to this like wild card competition in australia i think in 2012 like had you even learned your dives before then or did you just kind of <laughs> learn them on the spot and then make it yeah, totally. So they in the in the earlier days we would have a qualification competition and to be invited on it it was really based on just a, an application process where you would send them like videos of your dives. And so yeah, I mean I only had videos of the 20 meter platform at Indiana Beach like the competitions are from 27 and I had done one competition in China at 24 meters. So I was really learning dives as I was going at all of these events. And thankfully, the organizers kind of saw my potential and thought since I was a good 10 meter diver and I had these easy dives from lower heights, like, yeah, sure, he could maybe do it. And so, yeah, I mean, Steve, Kyle and I go out to Australia, like totally overwhelmed, very underprepared, have no idea what we're getting ourselves into. Um, And yeah, I learned I learned two dives in Australia, like I was doing a reverse two and a half twister from 20 and 24 meters. So I had to learn reverse three and a half twister at Australia for the competition. Just add a and twist. No big deal. Just add a twist. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, it's it's always easy on paper. Like jump, twist, <laughs> see the water, Brandy, stand up. Come on, can't be that hard. And then and then I was again, I was doing back handstand, one and a half twister, Brandy out, and I was gonna learn two and a half twist for twenty-seven meters. And so I learned both of those dives in warm-up in Australia and Laura, I don't know how this happened to this day. Like beginner's luck. I don't know what happened. Like I was on fire in Australia and somehow just like hit all my dives, won the competition and just like make the series right away in 2012 with like very, very little preparation coming from circus diving in Indiana, like one high diving event in China. And now I win the event and I'm, I'm like ready to dive in, in Red Bull. I, I, it was such a weird thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is so crazy. I just, I still can't even, I'm trying to imagine what that would be like. And I just, I can't even, I watch you guys and I can like, like you said, on paper, I understand it conceptually. I understand how you do it, but I can't imagine actually standing up there and doing it. So you get onto the Red Bull Cliff Diving Series and you, at what point did you solidify like a permanent position on the tour? So in 2012, in January, was the qualification competition. I, I solidified my spot for the series in 2012. And I was totally blown away, overwhelmed, maybe, maybe thinking like, oh, I guess maybe I am kind of made for this. Like, I guess, maybe, like, who knows? Maybe I'm meant to be a cliff diver. And then six long months go by until the first event in France for the first stop of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. Now, not training from another high diving platform, just doing 10 meter. And I get thrown into the first event and me, it did not go very well. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like so amped up and I was blown away by what this series was, these competitions. I mean, we're used to these very structured, organized, prim and proper diving meets that we go to for 10 meter platform events. And it's like quiet on the pool deck, very systematic, very like, formulated you know and i get to this red bull cliff diving competition in bonifacio on corsica this french island it's beautiful and you're standing on the platform and you're looking out over the mediterranean ocean and there's these yachts everywhere people are partying they're drinking they're honking their horns there's music blaring <laughs> like these red bull events are just like a huge party it's like diving is kind of like a sideshow side almost was what i thought at first and i was just i was overwhelmed i took everything in i was super amped up and i go for my first voluntary dive which is just a, a double half, a front one and a half pike with a brandy out. Very controlled, very easy. And I was just too amped up. I throw super hard. I'm flying through the air. I realize I'm going to be going over like it's very long. And I just put my arms up trying to put the air brakes on. And I land super far over, just oh, no. like on my butt and on my back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and I kind of immediately knew something was wrong. And, and in cliff diving, like, maybe maybe everybody knows this maybe they don't like if you land on your butt from 27 meters up like i don't care how hard you squeeze <laughs> your butt like water is going up there <laughs> and, then, and then it's coming back out as well and so, and so the safety divers are like swimming towards me trying to make sure i'm okay and i'm like yeah i'm good but you should probably back up like i, just, I had an accident and so i, I swim over and I get on the jet ski. They pick you up on this fancy Red Bull jet ski, and all the cheer, the, the crowds cheer, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah." And I'm like, "Oh no, this wasn't that good." <laughs> and, so, and so then I realize on the jet ski, like something feels weird. My suit feels kind of loose. My suit had actually blown out from underneath. <laughs> like the water, not only like oh, that my. whole thing happened, but my the the underlining of my suit had blown in half. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and then to make matters worse, like the exit strategy at this place is not very well designed. Like we had to, we had to jump off the jet ski and like swim onto this tiny little rock shore and like grab a rope and like climb ourselves up to this little ladder <laughs> oh, and no. then climb, scale a wall to get back up to the plat the athletes area. And of course, like I'm totally in shock. This this horrific accident just happened to me. This has never happened in my diving career before. My suit's <laughs> blown out from underneath me. I'm embarrassed. I'm totally weirded out. And so I try to swim on this rock shore. The waves were really big that day. I try to swim on the rock shore. I miss the rope. And I just like, with the wave coming, I just get dragged along these like super sharp volcanic rocks. So oh now not only, not only is my suit blown out, but I'm like bleeding on both my forearms <laughs> oh, and my geez, knees. David. <laughs> It was, it was like the worst experience I ever had. So I finally like I get up to the I finally climb on top of the wall and I have to like cross my legs and like waddle back up to the platform because my suit's ripped apart. And I, I like deck change up there. I, I throw my suit away. My towel's covered in like red and brown from everything that had just happened. I'm like looking back out over the Mediterranean like juxtapose from winning the qualifier in Australia six months ago. I was like, hmm, all right, I guess I don't have this figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up call. Yeah. Like, what did I get myself into? And honestly, like, it was that whole first year, even into the second year, like, it was a very tough learning curve. Like, I, 
it, it took a long time just trying to get comfortable up there, handling the competitions, the environment. Like it was, it was a crazy, crazy roller coaster of, of figuring out cliff diving over those next two years. Well, well, tell me some about these environments because you guys, every stop is something totally different. I mean, you guys set up a platform on cliff faces, off of castles, bridges, buildings. Um, I mean, just with like thousands of people, 70,000 spectators watching you, like you said, partying in their boats, just hanging out. I mean, tell us about some of the most epic locations, like your favorite and your least favorite that you've, you've uh, jumped off of. Yeah, totally. And that's, and that's one thing that I love about the cliff diving series in general. And, and Red Bull does such a good job picking these cool locations and mixing it up from like, island remote jungle places and downtown urban centers i mean the first couple of years in the u.s we were diving off the the contemporary art museum in boston like just along the boston skyline um we've done the the opera house in copenhagen we've wow. done castles we did a night event in dubai in the downtown dubai marina mm-hmm. um so yeah, what, each location is just as amazing and unique as the next, and and they all kind of have their fun little little flavors and everything. My my personal favorite, it's, it's tough. Everyone always asks like, "Where's your favorite spot?" And it's always hard to say. But in uh, in 2014, we had, or maybe 2013, we had our finale in Thailand, and uh, Red Bull kind of went all out for this finale stop in Thailand. Red Bull is actually a Thai drink. A lot of people don't know that. The, the company is headquartered in Austria, but the Austrian businessman bought the recipe. Red Bull is originally a, a Thai drink. And so the Thai family still owns 50% of the Red Bull organization. And so we got to meet some of the original Thai family and Red Bull kind of pulled out all the stops for this Red Bull cliff diving finale there. And so most of the time we have one location and you do two days of diving. Maybe they have a natural off the cliff spot and also a platform in the same venue. Mm. but it's, <laughs> it's rare. Uh, honestly, most of the time it's just a platform and we're lucky if we can find a cliff that has like the perfect natural spot that we can dive off of. But in Thailand, we stretched the competition out over two weeks, went to four different locations, two were our natural off the spot, two were platforms, some in iconic locations. If you've ever seen the movie, the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, Maya Bay is like the magical lost unknown Island. We were diving right there at the entrance to Maya Bay. Wow. Um, James Bond with the golden gun was filmed on Hong Island in Thailand. This is all kind of South of Krabi and that magical paradise Island hopping tour. Um, and it was just beautiful. I mean, we had, we had two weeks of basically vacation with some cliff diving on the side and every spot was just beautiful and climbing these cliffs and looking out over this turquoise blue water with these green outcroppings everywhere. It was, it was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think I would pick that one as my favorite, but honestly, they're all super cool. And it's, it's such an interesting thing to, to go to all these different places. Some like in France, we're diving off a castle with 70,000 people or some in Mexico and Yucatan, this tiny cenote that you dive into this hole in the ground and they don't even advertise it because they don't have the space to fit spectators. So it's really just like a hundred of your close friends and family and maybe, maybe a few locals. Uh, um, and it's, it's really, really cool mix. So cool. So didn't, didn't you help uh, found USA cliff diving recently too? Yeah, it, it actually started pretty early. Um, Steven, Andy, Kyle and I um, just realized that the four of us had a, a platform that we could organize together and, and share our stories and our adventures. Um, and so it's kind of an athlete run organization between the four of us, um, mostly creating content for social media, um, but also trying to share our individual and group stories and push the sport as best we can. So we try to work with different sponsors or organizations. And one day we would love to host like a USA cliff diving tour and do more USA cliff diving events and talk to different groups and visit teams and do camps um, really just trying to push the sport in as many directions and, and many cool ways as we can. That's so cool. I was kind of addicted to the videos. I was watching them last night. So uh, yeah, that that's cool. cool. Definitely. What's what's the website for that? So we can make sure to get it in the show notes. Um, so we we have a platform on most of the main social media. So we have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and then the actual cliff diving website is just cliffdiving.us. Okay, awesome. And links so. and links for all the social media pages are in there as well. 
Awesome. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And uh, you guys have to go check it out, listeners, because the videos, they're just, they're hilarious. And you really get to see the background. Like you guys were just knocking on doors in Italy, like asking to go jump off people's roofs and stuff. And I, I mean, it was just, it's awesome. It's just so different and fun. And you can't pull yourself away from them. They're kind of addictive. <laughs> Thanks, but I, I, I would love to talk about, you've had a lot of wins and podium finishes um, on your time on the Red Bull Cliff Diving Series. In this past season in 2018, you had a couple podium finishes. It was starting off great, but then you had to withdraw due to an injury. But the injury wasn't even during like the training or the competition part of it. So can you kind of take us through what happened? Yeah. So um, for each of the Red Bull competitions, Red Bull likes to organize what they call a teaser dive. And they like to film something either at the location site or something nearby that has kind of a national or cultural connection to the location that we're diving. Um, so this competition was going to be in Switzerland on Lake Lucerne, this beautiful lake about an hour south of Zurich. Um, and the location that we were competing in, Sisakon, this little tiny mountain village, I guess right around the corner from there is this memorial chapel. And it's called the Tells Chapel, and it commemorates kind of this folk hero in Swiss legend named a guy named William Tell. And back in like the 14th century, he's he's kind of attributed sparking the Swiss revolution when they got their independence from um, the Austrians who were ruling them at the time. So there's this crazy cool story about how he jumped from a ship right here in this spot where the chapel is and he escaped. He was going to be imprisoned. He jumped from a ship, swam to shore, escaped, started the revolution, came back. He was an expert marksman, assassinated the Duke and over the like started the whole Swiss revolution. So it's really cool story. Um, and so in front of the Tells Chapel, which is on the lakeshore right there, they wanted to have me dive. Um, but there's nowhere really to dive along that shoreline. So in typical Red Bull, awesome, extreme fashion, they teamed me up with a, a Red Bull Swiss athlete who's kind of the king of paragliding. He competes in this event, the Red Bull X Alps. If you've never seen, you should really look it up. It's this like multi-day adventure race from Salzburg to Monaco that you have to do on foot and with a paraglide. So these guys like hike, trail run, mountaineer, climb to these different summits. And then they paraglide through this course, takes them like six to 10 days to get from Salzburg to Monaco. And this guy, Christian Maurer has won it the last six times, six out of six. He's been the Red Bull XL champion. He's just the king of paragliding. They call him Kriegel the Eagle. He's this like awesome dude. And so I team up with, with Kriegel And the idea is that I'm going to tandem paraglide um, with him. So we kind of run off together. I'm basically attached to his front. Have you ever paraglided before? I had done two practice attempts before going to Switzerland to actually try this. And paragliding, I must say, is one of the coolest things I've ever done. If, If you guys ever get a chance to do it, definitely go paragliding. Just keep your harness on and don't jump from the paraglider. That can, <laughs> can go horribly wrong. Thank you for um, that safety note. <laughs> yeah, teaser here. Um, so yeah, we we come up with this crazy plan. I'm going to tandem paraglide. He's going to turn the paraglider right in front of the Tells Chappelle. And I'm going to jump out of the paraglider and try to do a flip or a couple flips. Not even really sure what I'm going to be able to do, but land in the water right in front of the Tells Chappelle. And then we're going to also put a Red Bull buoy right there to put some branding in. And then we're going to have a transport ferry that's on a schedule come right in front of the Tells Chappelle. It's got a big Swiss flag to kind of flavor it up and create this awesome, cool shot. Seems easy enough on paper. Just jump out of the paraglider, do a flip. When the boat's going by in front of the buoy, in front of the chapel, everything's going to be fine. Unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't go as we drew it up. The winds kept changing. The boat wasn't really cooperating. All these factors and all these variables were happening And so for me, on my side, it was really hard to tell exactly how high I was and what dive I should do. So on the first attempt, we come in low and fast, and I try to do a double half from probably like 15 meters. The the target height was to jump from 20. Um, And I like don't have any rotation. What I'm jumping off of, by the way, is just this little piece of plywood that's attached by climbing rope to my harness. And so as soon as we come off the mountain and get up in there, I'm unbuckling all the safety harnesses from the, from the, the tandem harness. And I just kind of put this little platform down and stand up and you can imagine it's just being hung there by climbing rope. Like it's very wobbly left to right and front to back. I mean, I'm trying to put all my weight down and Kriegel as the pilot is putting his feet on the back corners of the, of the piece of wood, trying to stabilize as much as it can, but it's not, it's not like jumping off a real platform. Like as soon as you push into it, it kind of gives way and slides. Oh one my way goodness. Or the other. 
That's like so, my yeah, worst nightmare. Like literally when I have diving <laughs> dreams is jumping off of a surface like that where you can't, yeah. you push down and nothing happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, the first attempt jumped from like 15 instead of 20, didn't have enough room to do a double half land, like flat on my face, like get the wind knocked out of me, but I'm okay. Kriegel, who's supposed to be able to just like steer the paraglider into the patio of the chapel, like we were way too low and fast. He just crashes in the water over near the rocks, like all the equipment <laughs> gets wet. It's total chaos. We're like, everybody's trying to like hang the paraglider up and dry it. They're checking to see if I'm okay, if Christian's okay. We only have an hour to get back up to the hilltop to jump again before the next ferry comes by. We like barely get up there in time and everybody's talking about, okay, what do we do? Like what's the minor adjustments we can make? So now like regain plan, we go back up. Now the winds change. We do our kind of button hook right in front of the chapel. Now we're way too high and coming in really slow. And I knew we were high, but I didn't know exactly how high we were. And at this point, the ferry is kind of going past the chapel. And it's basically going to be out of the shot at this point. And, and this is where I screwed up. I was just focusing on too many things instead of just my dive. So I kind of like as the chapels in what I would think the last available spot, I kind of stand up onto the board. And I'm like, all right, I think I'm going to go. And Kriegel tells me, he's like, I think we're too high, man. And I'm like, no, nah, I got this. Three, two, <laughs> one, and just like lean forward. And as soon as I leave the paraglider, I'm like, oh, this is way too high. <laughs> oh, man. I had, I had already decided to change the dive from a double half to a flying front. And that was the wrong dive to do because now I'm jumping from like 30 meters, maybe a little bit higher. Oh, geez. And so, yeah, I've like, I finished a single somersault and I'm probably still like 40 feet above the water and I'm going to just totally face plant again. But I try to save myself and kind of bail over on my left side and I take the whole thing from like my shoulder to my knee and just like crash into the water over there. Uh. And so, yeah, not good. And so my buddy who's playing safety, like he swims over, he kind of helps me. I didn't lose consciousness and like, I kind of just got the wind knocked out of me again, but he kind of holds me up as I, I get my breath. We swim over the side and he's like, oh man, that didn't look real good. Like we should probably call it. And I was like, nah, give me a minute. Like Kriegel lands the paraglider fine. He's just like kind of circling up there looking down at us. He comes down he's like, what do you think guys? I'm like, ah, I think I'm going to, let me, let me try. Like I'm going to shake it off. And I'm just being super stubborn, like really want to get this done. So I, I push through, like I, I say, I'm going to do it. Like I take some Advil, let's go back up there. We actually ended up doing two more dives and they both go fine. Like I just focus on me and Christian figures out the paragliding part. I do two flying fronts from about 20 meters. Everything goes great. Um, but we're wrapping up. We get back to the, the marina and we start doing post interviews. And all of a sudden I start to feel super weird. And I'm looking at the interviewer and I feel like I'm about to pass out. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like I really need to sit down. Can we just take the rest of this interview seated? And she's like, yeah, sure. No problem. And over the next couple hours, like everybody on the team who knows me pretty well, because some of the videographers have been with us since 2012 when I first started, they're like, David, you really don't look that good. Like you sure you're okay. I'm like, no, nah, I'm okay. I just need to rest. Like I just want to go lay down in my hotel room. Like everything will be fine. Yeah, sure enough, everything was not okay. Eventually, I'd tell my buddy, like, hey, I really need some help. So he comes to the room, we call an ambulance, I get to the hospital. And it's like, I get to the hospital. Now the hospital staff is super confused. They're like, what were you doing earlier today? Like, <laughs> usually people roll their ankle midday and they come in at night and they like need some ice and some Advil. But wh what did you do? <laughs> and so they, they put me in the CT scan. And then as soon as I come out of the CT scan, the whole hospital staff just goes into emergency mode. And like, they're just like prepping for surgery. And I don't even really get that much information. They're just like, you need to have an operation right now. So I, Bernie, my buddy hands me my cell phone. He's like, you got to call your mom. You got to tell her what's going on. I was like, oh, my poor mom. Like I, I try to tell her like as calmly as I can, like, Hey, I'm in Switzerland. We were doing this project, you know, about, I kind of crashed, like everything's okay, but I'm going into surgery. Like, just want to let you know. And, and like Bernie's going to be with you. And of course, like my poor mom's crying on the phone, like, it's going to be okay, mom, I promise. And like, the, and at the same time, like the anesthesiologist is like prepping the catheter. And he's like, all right, buddy, wrap it up. Like we got to get you on the table. <laughs> oh, <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yeah, I mean, thankfully everything went fine. They opened me up. I, what had actually happened when I crashed probably the second time, my spleen had basically split totally in half. Oh my goodness. So this happened at like 1 PM and stubborn me, like continuing to dive and not trying to get it checked out right away. Like I didn't go to the hospital until probably 8 PM. And so by that time, when they, when they actually got me on the table, they said I had over two liters of blood in my abdominal cavity, which is almost like half your blood supply. Oh my uh, goodness. And so thankfully it was just a spleen and the surgical team did great. 
Um, I recovered in the ICU. The The surgeon spoke to me the next day and she was like, honestly, like 20 or 30 minutes later, like it, it could have been game over. Like you're, you're lucky. Um, wow. and so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really crazy experience. Um, and it was, it was a rough week in the hospital, but thankfully I recovered fine. And, um, it was a long recovery since then. And I mean, this happened July 31st of last year and I was diving really good. Like you said, I, I had a couple podiums right before that, but I was unable to compete for the rest of the year. Um, and I didn't really start training again until probably December. Um, so now I'm kind of just coming off like two months of good training and I'm like starting to finally feel strong again and, and get back to it. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been an experience for sure. Well, how, yeah. How are you preparing to start the season again? Like, are you nervous at all? Or you feel pretty confident since that wasn't an actual, like what you normally do It was kind of more of a stunt thing. Like wh- how, how is your mind with all of this? Yeah, it's, it's been tough. I, I feel like I'm kind of still processing it and I don't, I don't know if I really will totally get over it until I compete again. Um, but yeah, I, I go through a huge range of emotions, totally nervous, really scared. Am I going to be prepared? I haven't been diving in so long. Um, but then on the flip side, like I was competing so well, everything was going great. This was a crazy stunt. It wasn't my normal dive. Um, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really just trying to stick to my process and, and use all the mental and physical tools that I can. So first, just actually getting back in shape. And thankfully, now that I can train hard again, I'm, I'm actually feeling physically ready again um, and diving starting to come around. Um, but yeah, it's I, I can tell you, I mean, we we just released our calendar for this year and we're going to have our first event in April. Um, and I will be very nervous and very scared to get back up there and dive again. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I'm trusting my process and, and all the skills and tools that I have. And so I, I think I'm going to be ready. Um, it's uh time will tell. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to get back up there and and dive again. So I have a question with all of this, like, how do you separate yourself? Cause I mean, I know you do this for a living too. And I mean, it could kill you. Like this is kind of all a big, you know, this is a lot to, to kind of have on your shoulders for like a sport that you're doing. Like, how do you not get sucked into that and let that kind of take over how you think and how you feel about things? Like, how do you separate that from, what you're doing, you know what I mean? Like your, your actual purpose and why you're doing the sport versus all these things that are kind of maybe floating in the back of your head. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a tough balance. And and I remember even, even going back to my college days, like Adam, when I was, was struggling with stuff in college, he was always telling us like, you know, diving is, is just something you do. It's not who you are. It doesn't have to be everything about you. And, and you have to find some type of purpose and, and reason for all of this. And, and be your own self in, in and out of the sport. Um, so it's, it's definitely a tough thing to balance, especially when cliff diving, it can seem like it, it consumes my whole life, especially in that moment, you know, and over the last six months of recovering and trying to get back to this. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, it, it gives me, you know, being lucky to be alive. It's, it's given me a, a, a fun perspective and a different change on things. And it's made me really appreciate a lot of a lot of stuff that I have and, and close friends and family and balancing that time and, and realizing that, yes, this is a fun and crazy extreme activity that I like to do. Um, but it's finite, you know, and I know I'm not going to do this forever. Um, it's, it's not something I'm going to retire off of. I'm not going to make a bunch of money. It's, um, it's a really cool, fortunate, awesome opportunity that I have right now. And it's let me see the world and experience these awesome, cool places and cultures and locations um, but I, I like to see it for what it is and, and I really want to enjoy the journey because success, no matter how you define it is usually only a fleeting moment and whether or not I become world champion or, or get a gold medal in the Olympics, if the sport gets there or contribute as much as I can to cliff diving as I eventually will. And that's what I want to do. I still need to be David on the other side of this, you know, and, and I'm really appreciative of what the sport has given me. Um, but I still strive every day to progress myself as an individual and as a person first. Um, and so it's, it's been a wild ride and it's given me a cool perspective on life on the side. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun and I I like it for now and we'll see how much longer I can do it, you know? I love it. You just drop your mic right over there and peace out. (laughs) That was great. Is, is the, uh, is high diving going to be in the Olympics? I know you guys were fighting to get it as an exhibition event or something in Tokyo. Yeah. Fingers crossed. You know, it, it, um, unfortunately it doesn't look good for, for Tokyo. I know FINA, FINA and the IOC have to 
work together better. I, I don't know exactly what, what the, um, the restraints are right now. I think they, what, one thing we do need is more divers from more countries. Um, especially on the girls side, they, they just haven't been competing as long. You know, we, we have about 30 guys, um, from a good number of countries who compete right now, but on the girls side, we really only have like 10 to 15 girls and a lot of them are, are American. Um, so we're really trying to just push the sport, get it progressed, get more divers involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fina always tells us how great the sport is doing and how much they like it and, and how, um, well it would do on the international Olympic stage. We just have to get it there. So, you know, fingers crossed, maybe we can get some type of exhibition in Tokyo, but, uh, we're pushing for 2024 in Paris and, and maybe, I mean, 2028 here in Los Angeles where I'm living right now. So who knows if I can hold on that long, but if we can get it there, I'd, I'd love to compete one day. Oh, that'd be so cool. Well, where can we follow you online to continue to be inspired and encouraged by you and also cheer you on in this comeback season? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to follow the, the cliff diving. So definitely um, all the Red Bull cliff diving stuff, they do a great job of putting awesome pictures and videos up from all the locations and projects and competitions we have. So if you just go to redbullcliffdiving.com or any of their social media pages, you'll get stuff. Um, in addition, uh, the athlete run organization that we do, um, Andy Jones, Kyle Mitchell, Stephen Labou, and myself, we, we do a little bit more of the behind the scenes, Laura, you were talking about the funny videos. So definitely check out USA cliff diving, um, again, social media platforms and cliffdiving.us. Um, I have my own pages. You can look me up, David Colturi on all the, on all the social media platforms. I don't have a website just yet. Um, but I'm getting there. And yeah, I mean, just reach out to any of us. Like we're all, we're all super friendly and and love to get people involved. If you want to come dive with us, you can, um, you don't have to go off the 27 meter platform. We can take it (laughs) slow. Um, yeah. Good to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get some junior camps organized to teach kids kind of those feet first entries from, from lower heights, like five meters, seven meter, 10 meter first. And yeah, eventually we're going to have, you know, full on high diving facilities. And, and I don't think, cliff diving high diving needs to be looked at this this crazy extreme wild thing that nobody can get into it it always will be dangerous for sure um but yeah i think the sport is going to grow and and there's going to be a lot more avenues for people to get involved so whether you want to enjoy it just as a spectator or if you want to be a diver like reach out to us and and come dive we'd always we always love having people it's i don't know laura i know you're you're getting back in a timber do you want to you want to maybe bump it up a notch uh, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe let, let me take a peek over the edge first and then I'll tell you no officially. How about that? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. We'd love to have you at an event sometime. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. You are just inspiring and encouraging and we wish you the best. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Wow. I mean, isn't that all just so insane? I can't imagine diving from a tiny wobbling two by four that's suspended only by a hiking rope from a paraglider. Forget trying to time it to the pace of a ferry boat. That's just so crazy. There are so many parts of David's story that are hilarious and fascinating and yes, inspiring. But I especially loved hearing about how he so easily made the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series and he thought he had it in the bag. But then his first competition on the series was such a disaster. He had to pick himself up and humbly climb that ladder again, admitting that he didn't have it all together. Sometimes we're thrown these curveballs in our lives or our careers where we realize, wow, I really thought that I had this. And it requires such dedication and teachability to just pick ourselves back up and keep going. If this story is resonating with you and you want support in ways that you can grow as a competitor, head on over to laurawilkinson.com performance to grab my free guide, five things that you can do today to become a more confident competitor. Again, that's laurawilkinson.com performance. Be sure to tune in next week as we have Olympic bobsledder Alana Myers-Taylor joining us. On behalf of Hope Sports, I'm Laura Wilkinson. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great week. This podcast is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media. For more information on Hope Sports and to access the complete archives, please visit hopesports.org. Hope Sports.